I was on mute. Sorry. Thank you, Scott. Okay, so we've been looking together in Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian believers, and we've been looking together at turning toward joy, discovering a joy that circumstances cannot change. And as as I have uh, shared with you on other occasions, the material I'm sharing with you throughout this series together, uh, uh, some of it is my own personal study of the Word of God. I've also been gleaning some very insightful thoughts from Dr. David Jeremiah, Dr. John MacArthur, Dr. Warren Wearsby, and books and commentaries that they have on the book of Philippians. But there, there's nothing like uh, opening the Word and digging into the Word and seeing what God has to teach us. Now, by way of review, we have noted in Philippians chapter 1 what Paul has to say about the joy of community, the joy of adversity, and the joy of integrity. And as we move into Philippians chapter 2 and the first 11 verses, we're going to be looking together at the joy of unity. And uh, the Hokey Pokey song really has a lot to teach us and how we all work together in the name of Christ and under the control and influence and power of the Holy Spirit of God and how together we serve the Lord. And as Jesus mentions just prior to his death, the, the world will know that we are disciples of Christ when we have love for one another. And when we have love for one another, there will be unity. And we can experience together and enjoy together the joy of unity. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, the first 11 verses. Paul is writing to the Philippian believers and by application to us, and he says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I was a a little boy, uh, we lived in the country, and uh, for most of my growing up years, uh, we had a barn, and we uh, would do a lot of fun things in the barn. We'd uh, build tunnels under the hay. Uh, When we had stacks of hay, we would swing on that big rope under that big hook and jump into the 
the piles of hay that we had there. And we would also play back in uh, New Jersey. Uh, they called it uh, elimination. I think today they call it dodgeball, where you have uh, two teams and you throw the ball and you try to hit somebody or you try to catch their ball and so on and so forth. And uh, we, we'd have great fun up in that barn. We had a basketball hoop as well. But my favorite sport growing up was baseball. And I would often uh, go outside with a bat and with a ball, and uh, I would throw the ball up in the air, and I would swing uh, the bat and hit the ball, and I'd often hit it against the barn so I didn't have to go chase it too far. But I was reading about a little boy. He was in his backyard, and he had his bat, and he's throwing the ball up in the air, and he says, I am the greatest hitter in the world. So he throws the ball up in the air, and with the bat, he swings, and he misses. He says, I am the greatest hitter in the world. He has the ball, throws it up in the air with his bat, swings, and misses again. Strike two. He says, I am the greatest hitter in the world. Throws the ball up in the air, swings, misses. Strike three. He says, wow, what a pitcher. I am the greatest pitcher in the world. You know, I, I, I just love that kind of enthusiasm. And, and you guys living closer by where there's more history available about Thomas Edison... You probably know the, the story back in December of 1914, Edison Laboratories, which at that time was in West Orange, New Jersey, was almost entirely destroyed by fire. And $2 million worth of equipment went up in flames. And everything that Thomas Edison had worked on Everything, his records, his inventions, everything he had worked on was going up in flames. His son, Charles, was frantically running around looking for his father. And he finally found him, and he said, my heart just ached for him as I saw him standing there and watching everything burn. He says, my heart ached for him. He was no longer young and everything was being destroyed. Well, Thomas Edison spotted his son, Charles, and this is what he said. Where's your mother? Find her. Bring her here. She'll never see anything like this again as long as she lives. And so Thomas Edison, together with his wife, watched everything go up in flames. The next morning, Thomas Edison, he was 67 years old at the time, was walking among the charred embers of, of his life's work. And this is what he said. There is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. What a great attitude, right? Well, this little boy had a great attitude. He wasn't the greatest hitter, so he became the greatest pitcher. Thomas Edison had a great attitude. He saw God's hand in what had taken place and looked at it as a challenge to start over again, have his mistakes all burned up, and be able to start over. 
Well, Paul's point in Philippians chapter 2 is that our attitudes are very, very important. In fact, our attitudes are more important than our actions because our actions are actually built on the foundation of our attitudes. That makes a lot of sense, don't you think? How we act and what we do is based on our attitudes and not the other way around. And so our attitudes are critical. And some of us, by nature, have a negative attitude set. Others of us, by nature, have a more positive attitude set. And our attitudes will definitely influence our actions. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Now we're going to be looking together here in verse 1 for reasons for Christian unity from just this one verse. And in this one verse, Paul makes four statements about the reasons for Christian unity. Now notice, uh, I know we have different versions of the Bible here. The one I read out of reads this way. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and then he continues... Now, some of your Bibles may have a different rendering of that, and probably um, rightfully so. Because when we hear the word if, we can act as if we are casting doubt. But in the Greek here, and I don't want to get too technical with you about this, but in the Greek, the word if here actually means since. And so we could, could read it in this way. Paul is not casting doubt or, or doubt about what he is writing here. He's rather making true statements. And the word since is more appropriately used here. Do any of your Bibles have the, words, uh, the word since instead of if in Philippians 2.1? Any of your Bibles? ESV maybe, NIV. But anyway, the, the Greek word is the word since. And so we could read it this way. Since there is any encouragement in Christ, since there is any consolation of love, since there is any fellowship of the Spirit, since any affection and compassion, and then Paul continues his thought. So reason number one for Christian unity is the experience of Christ's life. Notice the phrase, if or since there is encouragement in Christ. The word encouragement here comes from the Greek word paraklesis, which means to draw alongside. Now in Christ, we have great incentive to be encouragers and to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we read through the Gospels, we observe our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ coming alongside people. And he comes alongside them to encourage them and to comfort them. And we are told to follow the example of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We are to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to come alongside them and in this way follow the example of our Savior. So since there is encouragement 
in Christ. So Paul's point in his emphasis here is that we are just as Jesus did throughout his life and his earthly ministry. We are to come alongside others. And this will be very, very attractive to those who do not yet know Christ. Do you think if someone had, had come in this morning, just come in and perhaps here for the first time and would have witnessed our greeting Larry and Mary at the door and having greeted one another during our greeting time, do you think that would be attractive to people just coming in who don't know Christ? What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's what we are to do. Not for show. Nothing went on this morning out of show. It, it was from the heart. I, I was coming through from Heritage Hall to come over here, and Hope came up beside me, and she said, Look who's here. We looked out, saw Larry and Mary. What, what a moment... To, to rejoice together, right? And what, what, a, what a privilege it is for us to encourage one another, to come alongside one another, and in this way to follow the example of Christ. I was in high school when my brother, um, I, I have two brothers, one is with the Lord, I have two brothers and a sister, and the brother who was closest to me in age uh, was a student at Nyack Missionary College in Nyack, New York. And he would often come home with, with friends, guys uh, from Nyack, every once in a while. And, and man, for me, as a high school, I was probably a sophomore in high school at the time, uh, I, you know, I, I really liked meeting these guys. And I'll never forget, one weekend, I couldn't tell you their names, couldn't tell you anything about today. But two of these guys were there, and they were there the weekend. They were getting ready to go back to school on Sunday afternoon. And these two guys came up to me, and they said, Len, we believe God has his hand on you. And we believe God has great things for you in the future. Keep following him. Holy mackerel. That was like saying sick him to a cattle dog. I, I mean, for these guys from college to say that to me, I'll tell you, that influenced me big, big time. And I remembered those words through high school and as I began to consider where I would go to school for, for college. That, those two men who... Again, I don't remember their names or anything about them today, but I know they influenced my life. They encouraged me. They came alongside of me at a time that, for a lot of us, can be difficult, high school, trying to figure out who we are, where we're going, what we're going to do with our life, and so on. To have these two college guys come alongside me, they, they have no idea how much that meant to me then and how much it has meant to me through the years. Well, we have the privilege of doing that, don't we? 
to come alongside each other and to encourage one another. And, and we know very well that there are those within our church family who are going through difficult times right now, and we need to be there and come alongside and encourage. That's what Paul tells us to do. That's what he told the Philippians to do. He tells us to do that. And reason one, then, for a Christian unity is the experience of Christ's life. Reason number two for Christian unity is the example of Christ's love. Notice what it says here. Paul writes, Since there is consolation of love. The love mentioned here is, first of all, the love which Christ has for us. We have felt his love toward us, and now that love is in our hearts through the Holy Spirit of God, and we are to pass that love on. Consolation has to do with comfort, to come alongside, to console, to comfort. And so together these two words speak of lovingly comforting the faint-hearted. And we are to look, we are to be very proactive in looking for people who need encouragement, who need to be comforted, who need to be consoled. And it doesn't always take a lot to be able to observe. That person could use some encouragement today. That person could use some comforting today. That person could use some consolation today. We need to be very, very aware of that. And not exclusively, but it, but it is it's probably wise, but I'm not saying exclusively, but it's probably wise for, for men to, to look for men who need comforting and consolation and for women to look for women who need comforting and consolation. I'm not saying exclusively, but by and large, that's probably a good, pretty good axiom to follow. Now, there are times when a brother and sister in the Lord might not necessarily need comforting. They might need a loving kick in the sea of the pants. Notice I said loving. Confrontation. I've needed confrontation in my life. And for somebody to come beside me at that point in time and, and want to cry with me would not have been a good thing. What I needed was someone to come alongside me and say, grow up. What are you crying about? But we need to keep short accounts with God, and we need to be lovingly keeping short accounts with those around us to know when what is needed. Let me give an example. There's a gentleman back in uh, Buffalo, New York. He used to be uh, like the area director of the Fellowship of Churches. We were, we were not a denomination, but Seneca, uh, number one, was part of a fellowship of churches back in New York State. And we had been uh, 17 years into our ministry at Seneca when someone in the church... Uh, really started spreading a, a very ugly, ugly, ugly rumor about me. And obviously I became aware of it, and it was a slanderous uh, rumor that was going around. And um, the, the board became aware of it, 
and they sat down with me and they said, Len, you need to forgive this person. I looked right at him and I said, no, I don't. And I'll say, I said, I'll tell you why I don't. Because God tells us to forgive others when they confess their sin. Or, or God, let me, let me back that up. God tells us in his word, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I said, this person hasn't confessed anything. This person has continued very arrogantly to spread these slanderous rumors. I don't have to forgive that person at all. And they just looked at me. They, they didn't really know how to answer me. Well, the next thing I knew, a couple days later, I get a phone call from the area director of our fellowship of churches. His name is Carl, Carl Crate. And to this day, he's a very dear friend. But you know what he did? He didn't comfort me. He kicked me in the seat of the pants over the phone. I said, Carl, I do not have to forgive this person because God's word says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. We have to confess for God to forgive us. You know what he said? Len, you're not God. Well, that was a revelation. But boy, I'll tell you, I had no answer for that. Except to say, you're right. I didn't need somebody at that point to come alongside, oh, Len, I'm so sorry that Mangano was saying those things. I'm so sorry. He said, it's being said. You're responding with, in sin. You are not God. You need to forgive that person. And it took a while for me to really humble myself to do that. But I'll tell you, it was freeing when I did. And, and no, no, alternate, uh, no um, ulterior motive here at all in saying what I'm about to say. That, in part, is what we're going to be talking about at the Peacemaking Seminar. Uh, we've studied it in the Word of God. We've had training in it, but we've lived it. And and if you haven't signed up for the Peacemaking Seminar, I have a sign-up sheet here. Uh, love to have you come because we have lived, both Hope and I have lived, what, what it means not to be forgiving. And we know the freedom that comes when we do. And so we'd like to share those biblical truths with you. And that's what, in great part, will be shared at that seminar. But there are times where it is very loving to confront. Would you agree with that? It's very loving to comfort. It's very loving to console when that is needed. It's also very loving to confront. Now, we're not nasty about it, but we speak the truth in love. And sometimes we need that. I've needed that in my life. And there are times where we need to be willing to do that. All right. Another reason for Christian unity, reason number three, is the encouragement of Christ's body. Paul writes, since there is fellowship of the Spirit. 
And this is where, when we come to faith in Christ by the grace of God, and subsequently become part of a family in in a locale, such as Seneca Community Church, there is great diversity here, isn't there? We're very different. There is diversity, first of all, in what we look like. And boy, I, I bet you all looking up at me are saying, thank you, Lord. And, and you know, uh, I've shared with you before, I, I, oh, every morning when I get up and look in the mirror to shave or whatever I have to do, I remember God has a sense of humor. And, and I still, to this day, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I still, to this day, have to kind of gradually get into it, you know. I have to kind of sneak up. Because if I just walk up in front of the mirror, it scares me, you know. So, you know, we're, we're, we all look different. We all act differently. We talk differently. That's our, our makeup. That's our personality. It's what makes us us. And we can have the same spiritual gift. Uh, some of us do have the same spiritual gifts. There's overlap. But that same spiritual gift will be manifested in a variety of ways. Because let's, I know some of you have the gift of pastor-teacher, according to the, um, oh, the spiritual gift inventory that we did. Well, you will manifest that differently than I do, and I will manifest it differently than you do. But it's the same gift. But God uses our personalities and our characters in the way we are, in our experiences, and so on and so forth, as we manifest the spiritual gifts that God has given us. So there is great diversity here. Great diversity. But with the diversity, there is to be unity. And that unity is found through the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why, you know, when you come in in the morning and see things flashing up on the, on the wall, there, there's a, a, a statement, our purpose statement, our mission statement. And uh, we have core values. All these things are flashing up on the wall, thanks to Rachel. And these are the things that unite us. As you look at the Constitution, you see our statement of faith. These are things that unite us. And our relationship with God through Jesus Christ unites us. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit of God unites us. Even though we are very, very, very different. Now in the past, I've had the privilege of uh, being a volunteer firefighter back in central New York. And there's a big difference... And, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing the fire department anywhere by any stretch. Uh, these people put their lives on the line. They, they do, whenever that alarm goes off. At the same time, there's a huge difference between a fire department and a church. Because as the body of Christ, we have the fellowship of the Spirit. Now, there may be other believers within the fire department, but that is not what brings them together. What brings them together is 
loving, caring about people and wanting to save them if they're in danger. That's a good, a good thing to bring people together, but it's different than the fellowship of the Spirit. And so any good organization that's out there, and there are other organizations that aren't so good, but things that bring people together, it's totally different than what brings us together as the family of God in the body of Christ. Because it is the Holy Spirit of God. And as a result, we can have fellowship <clears throat> even though there is great diversity. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. The body is one and yet has many members. And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one. And that's where the hokey pokey song comes in. We're all part of the body. We're all there. And if one gets out of line and says, I don't want to be this, I want to be this. Or I want to be this and no one else matters. That's where we're in for trouble. And so... That's where the diversity with unity is very, very important. <clears throat> Reason number four for Christian unity, the expression of Christ's compassion. Again, from verse one, since there is affection and compassion. The word affection speaks of the core of a person's being. <clears throat> you know, when we, when we use the words I love you with all my, what do we usually say there? Heart. Love you with all my heart. You know what some cultures say? I love you with all my kidney. That's right. That's what they say. And other cultures, I love you with all my liver. Don't try that with you, your spouse, okay? Tomorrow morning you wake up and say, oh, honey, I love you with all my kidney. Speaking of kidneys, I had a, a, a teacher in high school, believer, good man, English, English teacher. And one day, he's saying to the whole class, he's saying, I really like those kiddly beans. We're all sitting there. Kiddly. He says, yeah, you know, those little brown beans, those little brown beans, those kiddly beans. And so the smartest person in the class, I was listening to her. Smartest person in the class said, don't you mean kidney? He said, that's what I said, did I? If you don't remember anything else but that today, I've, I've failed. But anyway, <clears throat> we say, I love you with all my heart. Jesus loved us with all his heart. For some people, Jesus loved them with all his kidneys. For other people, Jesus loved them with all his liver. But regardless of how you say it, Jesus loved us. And he loved us and still does unconditionally. 
And that's what it's speaking here of, of that affection. He loved us from his heart. And then we see the word compassion. Compassion is a reference to our outward acts of love towards someone because we love them. I had a friend back in New York State. He was a rough character. He, he was a lumberjack. And I'll tell you, he had the scars to show it. Um, he had one eye, the other eye was glass, uh, glass eye as a result of uh, an accident he had uh, doing lumbering. And, and he was a rough, rough character. One thing he used to say, he said, Len, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. And it is. When it comes to love, you know, we can say, oh, hey, listen, man, I really love you. Well, you know, I appreciate the love you have for me. I, I really could use some help with this situation. Sorry, buddy, I don't have time. That, that, that happens. What, what Paul's talking about here is that we have that deep love for others and each other, which we should. And that deep love is seen in our actions. It's not just cheap talk. Jesus Christ, he showed it, didn't he? It wasn't just cheap talk with Jesus. Man, he left the glory of heaven. He lived on this earth. He died as a common criminal. And not only that physical, humiliating, horrible death of suffering, but he took on himself your and my sin. That's love. He loved us with all his heart, and he showed it to us. I read this past week a, a great summary statement of verse 1. I'll read it at this time. If then you receive any help or encouragement or comfort from your vital union with Christ, and if the love of Christ toward you does at all provide you with an incentive for action, if moreover you are at all rejoicing in a marvelous spirit fellowship, and if you have an experience of the tender mercy and compassion of Christ, then prove your gratitude for all this by loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the unity that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for all that we are and all that we have because of Jesus Christ and his love for us. And we pray, Lord, that we would follow his example and manifest that same kind of love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, at this time, we'll take any praise and or prayer requests. Anyone at all. <clears throat>